Isn't the point of traveling to get away from it all, to feel the best you've ever felt? Then maybe you should check out Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. When your trip comes to an end, you won't need another vacation because you just had the vacation. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Previously on Maverick. The crazy thing that was spreading through the rumor mill was that small house churches were growing and multiplying in some of the hardest to reach places in the world. It turned into the largest global survey of Muslim movements to Christ ever conducted. And what I discovered was that more Muslims had come to Christ than at any time in history. We are living in the time of potentially the greatest expansion of the kingdom of Jesus that has ever happened. In the 1300s, a man who was known as Tamerlane rose to power in Turkestan as he led massive armies. During his lifetime, Tamerlane's armies were responsible for the death of 5% of the Earth's population. He annihilated entire cities of more than a million inhabitants, executing their citizens after they surrendered. Historians estimate that Tamerlane's armies killed around 17 million people. And although he claimed millions of Muslim and Hindu lives, it was Christianity that he especially wanted to exterminate. Christianity in the region had already been weakened by a century of Islamic Mongol oppression. So when Tamerlane's warriors arrived, they easily eliminated most of the remaining Christian communities. Tamerlane died of the plague in 1405 and was enshrined in a tomb in what is modern-day Uzbekistan. Five centuries later, in 1941, a Soviet anthropologist exhumed his body to examine it. When Tamerlane's coffin was open, the anthropologist discovered a curse inscribed on the inside. It said, whoever opens my tomb shall unleash an invader more terrible than I. Two days later, Hitler's armies invaded Russia in the greatest military assault in history that eventually cost the Soviet Union more than two million civilian and military casualties. In November of 1942, Tamerlane was reburied with a full Islamic ceremony. Two days later, the German army was defeated at the Battle of Stalingrad, turning the tide of the war. And whatever stock someone does or does not put into the curse itself, it's clear that Tamerlane played a big role in the history of the Turkestan region. And for a man whose goal was to eradicate Christianity, his curse may have spun up the very events that made it possible for Christianity to return all these centuries later. You're listening to Maverick, and this is the region of Turkestan. Turkestan is one of the most geographically sprawling rooms in the House of Islam. It stretches all the way from the Uyghurs of uh, Western China. It stretches across Central Asia, all those uh, Stan countries, Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan, uh, Tatarstan. 
and then into Azerbaijan, and finally over into the uh, Anatolian Peninsula, Turkey, the country of Turkey itself, and the uh, remnants of the Ottoman Empire that spill over into uh, the Balkan states, uh, all the way into uh, Albania. That's all a part of this uh, legacy of this nomadic people that stretches from Western China all the way into Eastern Europe. That's Turkestan. There are really two main recent waves of gospel infiltration into the region of Turkestan. The first happened when Hitler double-crossed Stalin in 1942. Joseph Stalin found himself at war with Germany on uh, the Western Front and uh, Japan on the Eastern Front. He found that he had millions of immigrants living in his country who were German. And then he saw these uh, Japanese-looking people. They were actually ethnic Koreans who were in Siberia, and he relocated them, he exiled them. Stalin felt that the presence of these foreigners was problematic, so he exiled them to places like Uzbekistan and Kazakhstan. Most of these relocated Germans were Christians, and although the Koreans weren't Christians themselves, their presence made it possible for Korean missionaries to enter the region and blend in. So in other words, this fight between Hitler and Stalin sent the gospel back into Turkestan through these communities of displaced people. And that was the first wave of Christianity reaching the region. The second happened right after the fall of the Soviet Union. In 1989, a small window opened for Western missionaries to get in, and they didn't waste any time. We moved to Central Asia in 1992 and immediately fell in love with it. This is Zane Pratt. He and his family lived as missionaries in the Turkestan region of Central Asia for 23 years. But my early memories are of incredible food, incredible hospitality, warm, friendly people, knocks on the door late at night from the secret police who were sort of unsettled by the fact that we were there, people tapping our phones so obviously that the people who were listening in would actually even talk to us sometimes. So just this wild mix of things. But what we found for the most part was that people were excited that we were there. They were excited to have Americans in their neighborhood, in their city. And they were very curious about everything about us. And part of that was because they had just suddenly realized that they'd been lied to for 70 years, that their media had presented a picture of the world that was completely false. Um, so they wanted to know what the truth was from people who'd actually lived and been on the outside. And that curiosity paved the way for Zane and other missionaries to live differently. As people watched the lives of these strange new outsiders, what they saw was the way of Jesus. There was rampant immorality and rampant drunkenness uh, among those folks. So there was an attractiveness just from the, from the way we lived. I mean, I had people comment on the fact that they watched us like hawks and they knew that I was faithful to my wife. And that was an astonishing thing. Had one taxi driver whom I'd never met before in my life say, um, everybody in town knows who you guys are. You are real Christians. You are always honest and you help people. So what we discovered is that it was important for us to be as openly Christian as possible. But I also remember is that when the Soviet Union collapsed, with it the entire economy collapsed and the whole distribution system. So stores were empty, winters were long and cold. It was, it was rough 
on, on the people there. Zane found himself living among people whose whole system of life had fallen apart around them. These Muslims were sort of the orphans of the Soviet Union. What they did have under the Soviet Union was a safety net, one that would provide them a small staple of food, one that would guarantee that they had some sort of employment, even though it was a collective farm sort of employment. It was a, a support system that provided them a meager pension that would keep them from starvation, but frankly, not allow them much prospect for growth or for opportunity or for rising above their state in life. So when the Soviet Union collapsed, all the state support was dismantled. People no longer had jobs. They no longer had the stipend from the government. They didn't have education like they had before. And it left a huge vacuum in the lives of the people there. But wherever there's ruin and emptiness, Jesus loves to step in and bring healing. And it's often in those most desperate situations that people are most receptive to the gospel. There, there is no question in my mind, and, and we see this really throughout history, that, that God will intentionally shake up a people um, to, to, to force them to, to look beyond what they're comfortable with. And unquestionably, that happened there. So many of the stories that I heard were stories of individuals who uh, said that before I found Jesus, I was an alcoholic, I was a criminal. I was a thug. I used to fight a lot. And I, I lived from uh, traveling from one bar to the next. And I was an unfaithful husband. But when Jesus came into their life, he changed their life from the inside out. And now they had a joy and a sense of forgiveness and peace in their heart that they had not known during their life before Christ. And one of those people David met was named Alp. Alp was the chief engineer in an automotive company. He was rich and successful. But with uh, wealth came uh, vices, and uh, he said he had become an alcoholic and later went from alcohol to stronger drugs and was even using his money to, uh, to buy opium and then became an addict. But when the Soviet Union collapsed, his company went bankrupt and he lost everything. He spent more and more nights away from home, neglecting his family as he sunk into the world of addiction. One day he was coming out of a stupor and he opened his eyes, he just looked up and he saw the ceiling over his head and he heard a voice that just kind of spoke into his mind, said, Alp, what kind of man are you now? It was about that time that his wife and his younger sister came by to see him and it had been a long time since he had even eaten a, a normal meal or spent any time with his family. But uh, they insisted that he come. So Alp went home and sat at the dinner table with his family. But before they started to eat, his 12-year-old daughter asked if she could pray for their food. He muttered something about not caring what she did, so she went for it. And she began to pray and thank Jesus that her dad was sitting at the table and thanked Jesus for the food that God had provided to them. And then she closed her prayer in the name of Jesus and that was something Alp didn't know what to do with. He asked why she was praying to Jesus and not to Allah. She told him that her and her sister had been attending church and Jesus was changing their lives. She talked to her dad from uh, seven o'clock that night till about 11 p.m. And uh, when he said, but we're Muslims, how is it possible for us to believe in Jesus? 
and she put in his hand a little New Testament in the Russian language that uh, she said, if you'll read this, you'll find the answers to your questions. And Alp said he sat in his, his chair and he opened the New Testament and that night he read the Gospel of Matthew from beginning to end. And as he read, Alp started to see his life in a different way. He said he began to understand the sin that he was living in. And then he saw Jesus' ministry, crucifixion, resurrection, and commission, and Alp's heart changed. Today, Alp is a pastor of an underground church among his people in the Turkestan room in the House of Islam. In the years that followed the fall of the Soviet Union, many people like Alp sunk into depression as their lives were devastated. But the missionaries like Zane, who were willing to go and live in the upheaval with them, began to see the gospel take root through transformed lives. It was rough on on the people there. And part of what I think endeared us to them is that when it got hard, we didn't leave. We stayed. And that built some relationships that gave us even more opportunity for the gospel. And Zane would say that's about all it really takes to see God do something big a willingness to go into places where we exchange our comfort for a calling. God never guarantees our safety, physically speaking. It's kind of irrelevant because he's conquered death. That he did guarantee that in the world we would have tribulation, but said, be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. We are promised all who seek to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. If people are living for the American dream, then missions makes no sense. If people's purpose in life has been transformed, which should be true of every disciple, then it makes all the sense in the world even to lose your life for the sake of that which matters infinitely and eternally. We don't become Christians to make the American dream even better. Uh, In becoming Christians, we, we throw away the American dream and embrace a life that is to be lived to the praise and honor of the one who has redeemed us at such infinite cost to himself. And that's exactly what drove missionaries to take advantage of that small window in the Turkestan region. And not just to come in as another strong arm the people would have to push against, but to come in as servants, seeking to bring Jesus into the context of the people. They were using a good cross-cultural communication. They were learning the local languages, whether it was Kyrgyz or Kazakh or uh, Azerbaijani language or the Tatar language, Bashkort language, the several Central Asian languages, and trying to get the, the Gospels and the New Testament translated into those languages, as well as providing Jesus films and, and sharing the Gospel. And in those years of open borders, Christianity spread and churches grew as they were led and funded by Western missionaries. But within 20 years of missionaries gaining access to that area, they lost it. Totalitarian strongmen were uh, coming to power in each of those uh, Central Asian states, Turkmenistan and Uzbekistan. And many of those missionaries were being expelled from the country. And um, it's sort of like the outside window to the outside world began to close. And just like that, the traction the gospel gained in the early 90s and the progress the missionaries made would be left completely in the hands of the Turkic people. It's like a tree cut off and thrown into the fire. 
In this case, the, the foreignness was cut off and thrown out of the country, but because it had indigenous roots, it was now in their language, in their culture. And now it was up to them to either rise up again from those roots and produce a new indigenous tree or not. So what did the Turkic people do? What do you get when the Westerners are forced to leave and the open churches are forced to shut down? You get a remnant of local believers who take up the leadership within the church. You get churches who don't dissolve but go underground. And you get a gospel that's no longer associated with Western outsiders, but owned and lived out in the cultural context. In short, you get movements. Something dramatic enough that it rumbled into rumors that stretched across the globe, telling the story of people who refused to let the gospel end with the missionaries' departure. And although it's hard to know exactly what numbers look like in the underground church there, what we do know is that God is moving, the church is growing, the gospel is spreading, and lives are changing all around the Turkestan region. This season of Maverick was sponsored by Global Gates. They're dedicated to reaching the ends of the earth through Global Gateway Cities. For more information or to get involved, visit globalgates.info. To help support the Maverick Podcast, consider giving monthly at themaverickpodcast.com.